If I would go back 15 to 20 years, I would say, am I positioning myself well for the next thing? I mean, am I learning? How am I perceived? What's my personal brand? Who am I connecting with that can help me? Who are my mentors? You know, it's a chess game. You're, you're obviously, yeah. you're the CEO of your own careers. It doesn't have to happen where you're at. And you have to have some willingness to take some risks and move around. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense always on their heels, offense on our toes. Defense playing not to lose, offense playing to win. Defense, the market dictates the terms. Offense, we operate on our terms. Playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now, the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Chad Estes into the conversation. Chad currently serves as Executive Vice President of Business Operations for the Dallas Cowboys, as well as Executive VP for the global sports agency, Legends, which ironically all started back in a very familiar territory nearly 15 years ago at what is now AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, where Chad led a team of revenue executives to shatter all previous premium hospitality marks in the sports industry. Prior to the Cowboys, Chad was CMO for the Cleveland Cavs, VP of Sales for the Tampa Bay Lightning, with his earliest roots working for Palace Sports and Entertainment and the Detroit Pistons. Chad is a proud graduate of Ohio University, where he was also a four-year letter winner on Ohio's basketball team and captained their 1994 MAC championship. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation with Chad as I am, and a reminder that many of the key takeaways in today's show can be found in the show notes on playmakerspod.com. With that, let's bring Chad Estes into the Playmakers Podcast. Chad, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Good, Paul. Great to see you, man. You look great. I love your setup there. No doubt, brother. And same here. You're, uh, I, I'm assuming, over at the Star. Is that right? I am. We're, um, we're in the office. And, and unlike a lot of people around the world, we've got a lot of people back, which is great. Um, yep. Took me a little while to find my groove and getting back, but, uh, but I'm in it now. And um, we, we've got somewhat of a feeling of normalcy here, which is really nice. I love that. Well, the difference is, so you, uh, unlike the, all the folks in Zoom land, we got to dress nice from the waist up. Now you're back to full body. So that, that's probably the biggest adjustment right there. I mean, the slacks and the dress <laughs> shoes, man, it's a total adjustment. Uh, I mean, I was looking at those clothes in the closet for a long time, wondering when they're going to get pulled out. But uh, it actually feels good to have somewhere to go 
uh, throw throw a jacket on, and uh, I still haven't shaved yet, but that might be coming here at some point. Uh, at a theater near you. Fantastic, bro. So you were at the Star, Cowboys HQ. I know you used to be at the stadium. So to bring all of our listeners in, so you and I, we have this really unique background, backstory, connection point. So you are both a part of the Cowboys organization as well as Legends. Legends, for those that aren't familiar, sports agency, Jones family on the Cowboy side, Steinbrenner family, some Yankees ties, and there's been other partners along the way. But I got started there at a pretty early stage with legends in my career. And I heard you say a quote that has stuck with me ever since. So I want to share the quote and then ask you, where did it come from? What does it mean to you and how have you applied it? So the quote is, hustle is heaven if you're a hustler, hell if you're not. Yeah. Talk to us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just pulled one of my my all time favorites. So, um, you know, I, I honestly um, I don't even know exactly where that came from. I don't know who authored it. I, I grabbed a hold of that super early in my career. Um, I actually have this folder that I saved like some things that I would cut out of things or some quotes, and uh, so I have that. But but um, it doesn't it, it it's you know it doesn't have an author attached to it. But somewhere I saw that it meant something to me and I pulled it out and I used to have that tacked above some of my cubes and offices, you know, back in the day. And then, as you know, I started occasionally I'd incorporate that into to an email uh, mm-hmm. or if I was talking to somebody. And and so, you know, the reason I like it is I, I, I think there's a, just a lot of truth to it. You know, um, I, when I got into to the business side of sports, which was, which was right out of school, I've never done anything but that. Um, I thought, man, how am I going to be successful here? I, I don't know if I'm really good at anything. I don't know if I could sell. I really don't know if I'm that smart. Like I really, you know, I honestly was probably questioning a little bit of how I was going to translate into the business world and and find success. And uh, like probably a lot of us, you know, I, I, I played college basketball. Most of us that got in this industry played some level of sports. So. Mm-hmm. What I said to myself was, you you were able to play college basketball off effort and hustle, mm-hmm. and you didn't mind doing it, and you kind of got in a groove of where uh, that was kind of your your way of doing it. So I just said to myself, man, just do that here. There's a version of that when you show up into the office every day. That was my early, um, you know, kind of confidence focal point. Was like, mm-hmm. if you have nothing else, you can work. And, and I knew yeah. I could just because I had done it in a different form, you know, with with uh, playing basketball. So so that was it. So that's why I think it hit me where I was maybe lacking confidence in how I was going to figure the rest of it out. I was like, I can do that. I, that's the one thing I can do. And uh, and so it was a I think it helped keep me, you know, um, you know what? It just gave me a little sense of confidence. That was it. That was for all. sure. What's crazy, though, is and I appreciate the vulnerability here because here you are, you're essentially running the business operation for the Dallas Cowboys, arguably. And I'll take the argument out of it, in my opinion, biggest brand in professional sports. You could even zoom out and say biggest brand in dot, dot, dot. But here you are, you're running the business. Then at one point in your career, you're saying, man, I was kind of lacking the confidence to 
get into the business side of it. It's not enough. You and I align on this. It's not enough to be a sports fan. That doesn't make you qualified to get in the sports business. Like that's not even table stakes. That's nothing more than a passion. But for you, you got in. So let me ask you this. You paved through the early hard road in your career and you were, as we call it, an individual contributor, right? Nobody starts at the top. Nobody starts in positional leadership, but then you cracked into it at some point. So if you were to say effort or grit or hustle was what got you through the early stages, what was the key to, I'm going to ask you two things, A, break into leadership and then B, be one of I'll tell you, Jen, this is a humble comment. You were on the Mount Rushmore of leaders when I entered the business. Like I was told, study Chad, like literally from a leadership and culture perspective. So A, best advice you could give us on how you entered leadership and then what has made you most successful in it? Yeah, well, it's a topic I I like to talk about and I think about a lot. And of course, I appreciate the compliment. Um, I... uh, so it all stems a little bit from what you were just talking about, like some of the lack of confidence. There's a, there's a story, and I won't make it too long, but when I was really struggling early on, entry-level ticket sales rep, I had a master's degree, sports administration. I, I wasn't sure if I was doing well, and I was concerned, how's this going to affect my upside and my future? And I, and I talked mm-hmm. to my brother, and uh, you know he was just two years ahead of me, and, and he was having some success in a sales capacity for an advertising agency. And I remember I just called him and said, Hey man, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I don't honestly, Paul, it was worse than just struggling. I, I was in the mode of like a uh, pit in the stomach when you show up at work every day. I, yeah. you know, I was very, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. I was uncomfortable. I was like, I don't think I'm good at making these phone calls. My success rate was super low. I didn't have a lot of people around me that were like, it's going to be okay. Try this, try that, you know? And, and, um, you know, which all that stuff, that challenge and early struggle molded my thoughts about leadership in the future, um, because I'm always thinking the young people are all struggling um, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to find your way and you don't know if you're good at something. You, you might lack some confidence. It was really an interesting place for me to be because I just come off this really cool experience with college basketball. And then all of a sudden I'm this guy in the phone room that can't make any sales. And I'm like, man, what happened here? You know, and uh, and so anyways, I called my brother and I was like, hey man, I'm struggling. And he said, he did a couple things for me. He said, first of all, um, self-educate. That was like number one. Uh, he said, you know, you don't know how to sell. No one's really teaching you how. Teach yourself. And he started recommending some books and tapes. Um, then he sent me this really cool thing called the 30 Steps to Successful Sales which you, you've mm-hmm. seen and we put on sales walls. So literally the 30 that you shared with me, it's the same 30? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Dude, he created it. Like, I, I he always gives me crap because oh. I probably didn't get didn't, oh, through the years. <laughs> I may not have given him enough credit. I wasn't suggesting necessarily. I was the author. I just didn't always say, hey, this is yeah. this is from my brother. Right. So um, he literally sat down and wrote that from things he had read and studied. And uh, it's really cool. We're we're actually, I think you're probably the first person I've told this. We're we are co-writing a book about it. Um, really? So I'm I'm spilling a little bit of that out there. Yeah. And because uh, it's a cool story that he sent that to me, it gave that gave me confidence too. I was like, oh man, if I could follow these thirty things, one of them is self-educate. And then I yeah. started reading books and listening to tapes, and it and it was a huge confidence booster. 
and I started to feel better about myself as a salesperson. I started treating it as a game and I got mm-hmm. less, you know, kind of caught up in my feelings about when it didn't go well or what have you. And we want, you know, we could go off on some whole yeah, 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 on, for sure. on that. But bottom line, I guess, to answer your question, when I started self-educating, I was interested in leadership. So then I extended that before I was in leadership, I started um, studying leadership and I, because mm. I knew I wanted to be in it, and I thought when I get my chance, I, I can't just wander into that the way I wandered into sales, clueless. I want to mm-hmm. wander into that with a little bit of an idea of what I'm doing and studying that and reading and listening to people. Um, and I would say having some challenging experiences early on, I was like, man, how would I, what was I needing then? You know, mentorship, you know, care training like I'm like when I get a chance I'm going to make sure all that's in place so people can flourish and not struggle uh, it's fantastic. And just to bring everybody in, because we've been talking about your brother, which I personally know him, and I'm sure you don't mind if I share this. So Ryan Estes, now he is an ultra successful keynote speaker and thought leader. Frankly, he and I have a very similar business that we're running, um, formerly in ad exec and in leadership roles. And uh, so, you know, I think if he's one of the bigger influences and inspirations, you said he taught you many lessons, including how to self-educate. You mentioned other books, other resources. So if you could just share with our audience, whether it's a recent example or a more historical example, are, are there one or two resources that you're like, hey, I don't care what walk of life you're in. This is not even solely about business or sales or leadership. This is just something that as a person you need to step into. Are there one or two resources that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think, look, I think the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People should be read yes. by everybody, just in general. Yes. Um, so, uh, but I'll tell you a story about a book cause it's kind of a fun story. Um, mm-hmm. it was the first book I ever read on leadership. Um, it's called, uh, don't fire them, fire them up by Frank Pacetta. I guarantee oh. Paul, you probably hadn't heard of it. Uh, because you know, I read it 20, uh, three to four years ago. And, okay. um, and, uh, again, at the recommendation of my brother and, and that what was so cool about it is, um, I read the book. I loved uh, what he did. He, he took over a Xerox office and basically took them from worst to first in a pretty short period of time. Um, he, the title of the book is because he did it with the same people. He just changed the culture of the office, mm. which got me to believe. I started thinking, man, culture is everything. Um, culture yes. is established by the leader. And uh, if you can create great, great culture, then exceptional things can happen. And now I've, I've seen that happen in my career and life a ton. I mean, mm. I always think like, you know, obviously with our legends business, we try and take the culture we established, we call it the legends way. And our mm-hmm. hope is that in every office we're working at across the world, you could walk in there and the legends way is happening. I like to say I could walk into an office and know it pretty soon by walking around, talking to you a few people. just feel it. Feel it, see it, talk to people. Yes, energy, interaction, smiling, uh, passion, engaged, fun, you know, celebrating success, great teammates, you know, you know, all that stuff. And you just can walk in and feel it. And um, so anyways, Frank was doing that big time at the Xerox office. And uh, and then later, as I became a leader at the Cavs, um, I, I and Ryan was in his speaking business. He might have still been at the advertising agency, but I told him, I said, we're doing this thing where we're bringing in speakers to sell tickets. 
come listen to a speaker, yeah. buy a ticket, go to the Cavs game. And I call, I called Frank. Uh, he was down in Columbus, and I got him on the phone, and he came up, and Ryan and I went to dinner with him. We sat there and told him how much his book influenced our careers and our lives. He couldn't believe it. Awesome. He was blown away, and we had this really cool experience with him. But that book was massively instrumental in me thinking about how to be a leader. That's so cool. So we've been on the topic of leadership. You also brought up culture. I'm going to get there. You know, what's really cool about what you just said, Chad, about the way you described not only the legends way, but just how culture can be that competitive advantage. And one of the things that I did not know when I was in sports, but I preach from the mountaintops now, I used to think that culture was a top down initiative. And really what I've understood in my recent years is that all culture is local. So when people ask me to describe a culture of an organization, assuming it's a mid to large size company with multiple locations, I say, well, I got to ask you a question in return. What location, who's the leader, what department, what floor of the building? That's the culture. Because on floor five, they're high-fiving on floor four. Shh, watch out, bosses around the corner. Same company. All culture is local. So it's interesting how sometimes we lose touch of culture because we think it's such a big game. But if every single person stepped in accountable to their own local culture, it's interesting how it can bubble up. Yeah. Oh, I'll just say there's yeah. times where I thought I was in some places where the organizational culture might not have been how I thought it should be, but I was going to create my own with my group. I, that was a conscious yes. thing. Like, I'm going to have mine because I don't, really totally buy into what's going on here as a whole. That's incredibly true. And that's also why, you know, uh, you know, if you're ambitious to take on more and grow leadership, you know, I view a little bit of my growth here at the Cowboys where I've just, you know, taken, you know, over time, I've taken on more, I've been able to influence yep. more of the culture of the organization. So that exact thing you described, we don't have something happening in one area and not in the other is, is, um, is not mm -hmm. happening as frequently. As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. Let me ask you a question about leadership and then we're going to shift gears to cowboys and culture. What's one thing that you know about leadership today that you didn't know when you started? Like just one of those tried and true principles that you've grown to learn over time. Yeah, so that's an easy one. The first thing that comes to mind is kind of the art of the challenging conversation. Ah, and you actually had us read The Challenger Sale to bring the audience in. That's a book. And so I'll let you kind of roll with it, but I'm, I'm sure that you're connecting well, the dots similar. here. I mean, they're, they're similar in nature. I mean, you know, what is everybody in business trying to avoid? Like tough conversations. I mean, yeah. you know, who wants to wake up and have a bunch of them? Um, but when you realize uh, that's your job and the culture's better and your relationships are better and you're a better leader and the business is better, when you become skilled at having difficult and challenging conversations. And, 
you know, that really means like, you know, if you, it, it, everybody's like, oh, we're, we're holding people accountable. Well, that's great only if you're willing to have difficult conversations with people that are a bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a full circle thing. Like my, my view is um, if I've invested time in the relationship with people, um, yep. then when it comes time to having a difficult conversation, it's less difficult. If I'm sitting with you, Paul, and I'm like, you know what? Paul is, I've noticed some things where he's not being as good of a teammate to the others around him. He seems to like, maybe his ego's getting in the way and he's a little selfish yep. and uh, he's a little caught up into his own deal a little too much. I need to address that. If I've invested some time in you, with you, we have a relationship. You actually think I care about you and your future. When I sit down and say, hey, Paul, we gotta talk about some things. I've noticed this, this, and this. It's not cool, man. It's not gonna be good for your future. It's not good for our office. You gotta clean this up. Mm -hmm. Your response is so much better. The conversation's so much easier um, than if I didn't work on the relationship. So, um, got it. So, so, but, but the you can't if you if I'm if I'm making a commitment to you that hey I told you when you came here I'm going to try and help you with your career, and then I never mm -hmm. point things out to you that need some course correction for you to be your best. Then what kind of deal is that? Um, but so it's it, but but I'm telling you, Paul, this is like the number one thing I feel like people don't want to touch. Yeah, no, you're right. And one, it's not comfortable. But this is the classic mantra of te tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. But it, no, I'll admit, I definitely I, I've done training on this in terms of how you deliver constructive feedback. And there's a quadrant box. And I fell into the sugar coating box, you know, or the compliment sandwich box. If you <laughs> Chad, you're looking phenomenal. Hey, by the way, don't do that again. But dude, we love you, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, as we, we riff on that, but let's say tactically. So if one tactic for everybody listening in, whether we're delivering the feedback or if we just want to create better environments that we can deliver this challenging feedback. One tactic you mentioned is establish a foundation of a relationship, because if we have that, I know it's coming from a good place. If we don't have that, well, then you're an a-hole and why'd you say that and you don't have my back. Are there any other tactics that you would recommend relative to delivering feedback in the moment or creating an environment where challenging feedback can best be delivered? Well, yeah, I, I mean, the thing I, I always talk about and, and uh, I think you experienced with me some is, um, you know, uh, I would call them non-agenda meetings outside of the office. It's usually in the form of a cup of coffee in the morning mm. or a beverage in the evening. And, um, and just it's, you know, the first thing is it's time. You know, I, I know if Stephen Jones spends, well, is one to grab a dinner with me um, and spend a couple hours talking to me about whatever, the business, my, my yeah. life, his stuff, whatever, you know, I, I, you know that feels good that he, that he yeah. wanted to spend that time with me. Um, and, and I, and I, so I think as a leader, the first thing you have to understand is when you give your time to someone in that way, um, it's usually appreciated and, and viewed as valuable. Secondly, I find I've always found throughout my career, getting out of the office environment, setting up a casual way to sit down and talk to someone is where you learn everything. You, you, yes. you learn what someone's goals and objectives are, what's bothering them, how they feel about things that might be happening in the office that you wouldn't have known about. And uh, those conversations become super critical. A lot of them are career oriented because, um, Paul, you know this, but you know, I haven't mentioned it yet, but the total kind of uh, core element to all things related to my leadership style and culture 
is around career development. So, you know, mm. I've always I've always started the conversation around trying to understand what people's goals and objectives are. Um, and then, um, you know, it becomes such a two way street. If I'm helping you with your career, whether that's internally, externally, just in general, you'll if you're if you're the right kind of person, you'll give back to the organization, me and what have you. Um, more than I could just ask for because we've got a little bit of some alignment on the um, yeah. on that relationship. So, um, anyways, you, you, the, that get outside the office. I do that a ton. I do a bunch. I mean, I probably do, you know, um, six to seven of those kind of situations a week. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes it's I'm meeting someone first thing in the morning, and I'm also meeting someone, uh, you know, on the back end of the day. It's a commitment. Um, but yep. it, it uh, to me, it's incredibly valuable. Also, let's like let's not um, let's not say that it's all for the good of the cause. There's a selfish aspect that too, because I'm developing relationships. I like having good relationships. Oh, I have re- like our relationship that's lasted however many years now. I've got so many across the industry that were born out of those kind of sit down discussions, and that's a great feeling to have. Yeah, no, that's great. And I've heard you and other platforms talk about how when leaders say they don't have the time to do it, in your case, you just said six to seven a week. That's a lot. That can be a lot of time, including the time there, the time driving to and from, et cetera. But that is the job. <laughs> that is leadership. Like it, to, to have meetings and talk about meetings and to have strategy, like you can, just like you, we find the time for that. You're saying, Find the time for people because that's going to be the dividend that keeps on paying. Yeah, when I when I talk to leaders about that, and I, I, some people are like, that sounds crazy to spend that kind of time like without an yeah. agenda. You know, my brother and I got into actually a big debate about this, about, you know, agenda versus not agenda. And, you know, uh, maybe I'm a little more casual about it. He's like, I'd, I like a few objectives when you sit down with an employee <laughs> and and I'm like, I, I like it the opposite. I, I like no expectations. Mm-hmm. The conversation goes where it goes. Um, you know, it's really funny, you know, when annual review time comes around, I'm like, man, I sometimes I don't have a lot to talk about. I've been talking to people all year about what's going on with them. Like, you know, there's no need for the formal review because we we spent a bunch of time together. Um, yeah. But you, it, I guess to some degree it's all, I still have work I have to do. It's not like... Uh, I'm just hanging out and talking to people all day, but yeah. um, but I've made that a priority. Um, I think some people get so caught up in the busyness of work that they have a hard time doing that, and I think that's where things start to potentially fall apart. Yeah, it makes sense. So I think this is a fascinating way of thinking about how you've developed uh, your own leadership brand, your own culture, if you will, and, and that naturally cascades through the organization. But this is kind of a cool question. And I also want you to give us a peek behind the curtain. Cause if I'm listening to this and I'm like, all right, sounds like a humble dude. Sounds like an inspiring leader. He works at the Cowboys. So he kind of works for this family called the Joneses. And so with that, I'd love to just get that peek behind the curtain of what's the leadership style of the Joneses, whether you want to say on behalf of Jerry or Steven, or what's the culture that the Joneses create, because that's something that maybe the outside world doesn't know. But the fact that you've been at the Cowboys for so long, which you and I in our sports careers, sometimes you got to hop around if you want to climb the ladder, so to speak. You've been at the Cowboys for much, much, much longer than any other stop. So I know there's something that's keeping you coming back. So A, leadership style of the Joneses, culture of the Joneses, why do you keep coming back? Sure. 
Yeah, well, and I, I was doing the hop around thing too. You know, I, I yeah. you know, every three to five years there was another move, and, and all in the, the, the realm of trying to advance the career. But um, there, there's a few things here. Uh, so first of all, um, you know, the, it's you're working for a family. It's a family business, like a lot of NFL teams or a lot of professional mm-hmm. sports team are in general. Uh, there's four of them involved, you know, daily, which is Jerry and his three. Uh, adult children, you know, Stephen, Charlotte, and Jerry Jr. I interact with all of them. Pro- you know, some sometimes that's a challenging part of my job, but it's also one of the best parts of my job. Um, and they're all they all bring a lot to the table for the company. So you know, I think one of our you know uh, sometimes the secret sauce of the Dallas Cowboys is you know we have four owners willing to engage all time. We, we, you know, mm. some in someone in my position, you use that. You know, you yeah. put you put them in positions to help the business, and so I have a great resource um, with a very engaged ownership group. But you know, secondly, is that it's uh, they've treated me like family literally since the day I showed up. That is the difference. I mean, mm. um, you know, I worked for other owners that were great, um, but none that made me feel uh, like family the way the the Jones family has. And you know, there's some incredible examples of that. Some some you know gestures of kindness in the past by them i i, I won't go into all that because i don't want to get into big storytelling but um but that that was apparent i i would call them the way i would describe it is very inclusive um uh. you know there's no like uh you know the old saying of someone walks into a room and looks past 10 people to find the person like most associated with them their level right. whatever that is not this family i mean they they're the opposite. They'd lock lock into the first person they were speaking to, and you'd have to prime away and say, "There's other people you need to say hello to in the room." Um, they're most interested in whoever they're kind of speaking to at that particular moment. Jerry Senior probably the most that way, and um, so so this whole kind of family dynamic is really really cool. Then you extend to um, a desire to be the best, uh, you know, mm. and put re- put resources into being the best. And, ha- and, you know, probably think bigger and broader than I could have ever thought myself. And, um, you know, so super visionary, super strategic, uh, also very sales focused. So for a fit for me, yeah. you know, I grew up in the sales side of it. And then I get with an ownership group that's all about sales, respects it, understands it, engages in it. I could ask Jerry to come uh, talk to a sales team. Uh, he'll do it in a heartbeat. It's one of his favorite things to do. And I can ask him to make a sales call, and he'll do that in a heartbeat. Not a lot of mm. owners uh, doing that. Um, so I could go on and on, Paul. I mean, they've celebrated successes with us. They've been, um, I mean, they went on individual PSL sales calls. All four of them did. So there was just a whole thing. Now, the last thing is, why am I here this long? They've continued to create opportunities for growth. I mean, my job mm. today, I'm involved in you know, this 91 acre real estate complex legends, the core business yep. of the Cowboys. So I'm all over the place and I love that there's variety. Um, and uh, so, you know, my career has grown with their vision and entrepreneurial spirit. It's uh, honestly, Paul, it's just a hell of a fit. So yeah, no, it sounds like it. Yeah. Everything that's tried and true to who you are and what I know about you uh, essentially I always say your why and your who is more important than what you do. It sounds like you're really connecting on a deep, 
personal human level with values and with other things. You see the world in a very similar way that they do, which that's that's more than half the battle. Let me ask you this, Chad. So you said that the whole thesis around your leadership style is career development. Then you just said, I'm staying at the Cowboys for so long because I'm continuing to grow. I'm continuing to be challenged. I, I, I don't feel complacent in a sense. So for somebody listening in that they say that they're extremely career development oriented. They want to challenge themselves. They want to grow, but maybe they're not in that environment that's bringing it to them. Like in this case, it seems like the Cowboys are meeting you at the 50, right? Like Chad's bringing it, Jones family and others are bringing it. So it's a perfect match made in heaven. What if somebody listening in doesn't have that progressive organization, that organization that's willing to have those tough conversations to move the ball down the field, all those things. Like what advice would you have for somebody that's in that situation on how they can grow with without maybe the right partner to meet them at the 50? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think you have to think about what kind, what kind of stage are you at in your career? What's important to you? What are your priorities? I, you know, I used to have a bit of a skewed view of that. I was just like, I don't care what it is. I, I want to be president of a team someday and like mm-hmm. blinders on and didn't care what it took to get there. And, um, you know, I, I have a different philosophy about that today. And um, you know, I think if you're, um, you know, earlier in your career, uh, you might not be around people that are thinking that way on your behalf. But as long as you're growing in your role and learning, there's a ton of value. Even if you're in a, a, a culture of an organization that might not be great, and maybe you're not even around the best people, but you're picking up some great experiences and you know the difference. As long as you can say, hey, that's yeah. not how I would do it but this is how we're doing it now because this is what I'm dealing with. But you know, uh, you know, I'll note that to myself, I'm gonna do things a little bit differently as I move on. And you might look at that and say, you know, for the next two to three years, I'm gaining and learning and then I'll maybe start to consider uh, what else to do. Um, you know, it, 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 so, so it depends a little bit on where you're at. You know, sure. I, I say to myself now, you know, I've been doing this for 27 years, I'm going to turn 50 years old soon. I mean, I'm not anywhere near done. I got a lot of energy left, but um, my my priorities have changed as far as what I think is important to me. Um, I don't have a president of a team title, and I could care less, and I'll probably never have that here. As, we, as I explained, we have a very engaged family, and I'm totally comfortable with that. Yep. But my, my, my requirements now are, um, am I challenged every day? Because if I'm not, I'll get bored mm-hmm. and I'll struggle. So that's big. That's yep. a big one. Um, secondly, is I'm, am I working for people I enjoy? Big check. And then third is, am I compensated appropriately for what I do? And I've narrowed it down to those three very simple things. And mm-hmm. if I'm checking those three boxes, I already know there's nothing else for me to be thinking about. If I was thinking about anything else, it's probably for some wrong reasons. Now, I think those became my three requirements at this stage of my career. Um, I think when I was, if I would go back 15 to 20 years, I would probably say, am I positioning myself well for the next thing? I mean, am I mm-hmm. learning? How am I perceived? What's my personal brand? Who am I connecting with that can help me? Who are my mentors? And I would be, because I was thinking, you know, it's a chess game. You're, you're obviously, yeah. you're the CEO of your own career. So are you well positioned if you want growth to go find it? Doesn't have to happen where you're at. And you have to have some willingness to take some risks and move around. Um, so it depends on where you're at in life a little bit on how you frame that up. 
Makes perfect sense. And if I'm listening to what you just said, it mirrors, it's the opposite end of, in your case, you're proactively, in my words, you're playing offense to create those six to seven coffees or cocktails in a given week. But if I'm not being asked by somebody like Chad, hey, would you, do you want to go for coffee sometime this week? I'm the one that has to bring that conversation to the table because not every leader is going to be proactive like you are. So if relationships is one key, you brought up personal brand. Talk to us about that for, I, I hear what you're saying. There's some things that are going to be intrinsic and unique to each person. What's personal brand for Chad, maybe different personal brand for Paul, but there are probably some common threads. What are some personal branding characteristics or traits or attributes that you have seen if you had to put a through line through the most successful people that you've been around and not just successful, but you know, there, there's significance there. They're happy. They're fulfilled. There's, there's purpose. They're not just checking the success box. There's some substance there. Are there a few, uh, intangibles or traits? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's some successful jerks out there. Uh, do you want to, do you want to be one of them? I, I mean, no, I've been around them and they suck. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, you know, that's, I, you know, you could be a hardcore jerk and maybe, maybe make it in life. But, um, I think it's a lot harder that way anyways. And I, so here, here's what I would say is I think a little bit about like, what do the people around you say about you? Like, if you're thinking to yourself, like how am yep. I perceived around here? How am I perceived by the people that could impact my career? Also, how am I perceived by my peers? You know, this gets big time into like, where's your ego at? Um, and I talk about being a great teammate. You know, how, how do you treat the people around you and how are you with your peers? And it comes down to, Paul, some real super simple stuff. That's why the book How to Win Friends and Influence People is like a great book because it's some basic human relationship stuff. You know, um, mm-hmm. are you willing to go out of your way to help people around you? Do you care about the people around you genuinely? Mm. Like, do you care about their success? Do you care about what they're going through? Um, you know, can you get out of yourself a little bit? And, uh, you know, I tell people that, that work in my, on my teams that when you're interacting internally with other teams, those interactions are really important because they go into the perception of how our whole group's viewed. So if yes. you top attitude with someone in the accounting department, unfortunately, like oh, all those salespeople or this or that or the other. Yep. So we talk about that. Like, you know, it can come down to some real simple stuff of please and thank you. How are you doing? I mean, mm-hmm. like the most basic human elements of, of, of relationships. But I, I talk to people about like uh, th- this. It sounds kind of funny, but, um, you know, do people like you at work? And, you know, yeah. like some people are not well liked. We all know, like you could walk into any office and you could say, you know, who does everybody dislike around here and wishes they'd leave? And they'd be like that person right there. Well, those yeah. people don't, in my opinion, are not on a good track for advancement. So I think when you get into business, people don't talk about this a ton, but you need to be thinking about like, how am I interacting with the people around me in this office? And how is that being perceived? And I think it needs to be like really well. I mean, I was telling someone the other day, be the, someone said, hey, Chad, I, I'm interested in leadership in the future, but I'm, I've got a ways away. How do I start to prepare for that now? And I said, be the best teammate today. The best teammates yes. today are the best leaders. And then we can talk about what that means and I'll, I'll pause, but um, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. 
Oh, I love that. And you're bringing up the team dynamic. You're, you're bringing up, let me ask you this. Are there, do you view teams in sports versus teams in business any different in terms of the characteristics that you should show up with? Any difference? Same, same? Not, I, I think it's a lot of the same. I mean, I think teams in sports, the role clarity can be a little different. You know, you get a peer group of yeah. a football team. The quarterback needs to be one thing and, you know, sure. and someone else is going to be the guy who's always talking in the huddle. A sales team, you all have the same job. Um, there's not a super, there's not supposed to be a superstar. Someone's going to maybe sell more. So you're a little more on an even playing field. But what happens, I, you know, somebody emerges as the go-to mm-hmm. person. Person everybody asks, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, gosh, you know, Paul came in and told us we all have to work on Saturday. Um, you know, what a jerk. And, you know, what do you guys think? And everybody wants to start complaining about Paul. And then someone says, you know what? Think about it from Paul's perspective. He's trying to get this done. And, you know, we probably should come in and do this on Saturday. It's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden everybody yeah. stops complaining because, you know, that, that you know, alpha person you know, calmed everything down. You know, Pat Riley had a great thing that he told the Knicks. Um, I always remember this. I think this came out of out of his book. But um, he he called uh, Ewing and Oakley into his office before the start of the season. He said, "Hey, look, you know, I, I'm the coach, so of course sometimes I'm I'm going to be a, the jerk, and people are going to you know be really frustrated with something I make you guys do." And he said, "My ask of you as the two leaders." is never kind of go along with the crowd when people are complaining about what we're doing. If there's a real problem and you're in disagreement, come see me and we'll figure mm. it out. But it can, you know, the leader out in the group can keep that, you know, Paul, how many times have you been in a scenario when you were on a sales team where someone said, hey, let's grab three people and go to lunch and they bitched the whole time about something the leader's doing, yes. right? So I talk to people about that. Like, you don't want to get caught up in that. Come talk to me. But um, so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I think that's an interesting element to the team dynamic. Um, No doubt. And and I think sometimes we get so caught in the moment. And one of the pieces of perspective for everybody listening in is you've brought us to kind of owning the present and being where your feet are and really just how can I make a contribution today? How can I make an impact today? One thing that I've seen really fire people up is when you zoom out and you ask yourself the opposite question, which now it's a look in the rearview mirror. Imagine you're at your retirement party or imagine you're thinking about, hey, at the celebration of your life, how do you want to be remembered, right? Like literally you're talking legacy. Most people don't think about legacy till they're old. What I've seen in my new space as a thought leader is the more that you're thinking about the end game that you want to create, then you drill it down to what are the daily actions and behaviors and decisions that I can take to get closer to there. Brother, I never used to think like that, man. I was always just like trying to win today, trying to win today, which I think is good, but I was never thinking about how do I want to be remembered. And I, I've seen it add a lot of value to folks. You're getting older, man. That's you know, that's it. There's grays. You can't always see them on Zoom, brother, but there, there's grays. All right. So some quick hits on the personal side, just given your uh, what you do for a living. What's the coolest event you've ever been a part of? Coolest event? Um, gosh, I mean, I've, there's, there's a lot. I, I will say... Um, I'm going to say one that will really surprise you because uh, okay. it's, not a, it's not a sports event and, you know, I love sports. But um, we did the Academy of Country Music Awards at our stadium and it was the first televised awards show in a stadium. So a live awards show in a stadium and we took a massive amount of risk 
we had over $30 million of risk in the deal. And, and, yeah. uh, and it was like a, it was almost like running a little side business within baked into our business. And uh, we pulled it off and it was super successful and it felt really cool. And uh, it's not even that like a huge country music fan. It was more yeah. of the business. That's interesting. I like you know, it. The business of pulling that together and the people we worked with. Yeah. And that always stands out as one of my, one of my all time favorites. All right. Cup of coffee with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? And what is one thing that you would want to learn from them? Oh, well, you know what? I, um, I would have that cup of coffee with my mom. Mm. And, um, and I say that, you know, I'm actually going to see her this weekend. She's making her first trip uh, to come come see us. But awesome. but look, it, it's really that for me because um, some of the stuff we talked about um, that I'm, you know, I I don't want to come off as I'm anything, but I do think I I um, have developed a good ability to form relationships with people because I care and uh, I I've tried to be humble in my approach. And I think those are all things that are probably a little innate to me because I don't think about having to work on those things. And I think I got that from my mom. And, uh, uh, you know, she tell, I, you know, it's funny, my brother and my sister, I tell her some of this stuff now about, you know, the lessons she's taught without, you know, uh, thinking she was teaching them. And uh, she's yeah. got a great perspective on life. She's uh, 82 years old and, and uh, she's still teaching us lessons because she um, uh, just has a super positive outlook. And uh, so I, you know, there's a lot yeah. of people that I'd want to have a cup of coffee with, but you know, if it was one, it, it, would, it would be her for sure. I love that. Awesome. All right, closing question. So you brought up family. Let's assume family is well taken care of, finance is well taken care of. You're in a great spot. Rest of life is a blank canvas. What would you like to spend the rest of your life working toward? Yeah, I, I think about that some. I mean, I would, one part of it would be, I'd be a high school basketball coach uh, for sure. <laughs> I love um, it. Because that would, that would keep the competitive juices firing big time. And um, I love the sport. And uh, so, so, and I, I'm not even joking. Like that would be, that'd be one thing I would do. Um, the, the other thing, you know, you know, I love what you're doing. I kind of like, I, I don't, I don't love getting on the stage. I'll say that. Um, but you know, this whole thing, because I've spent a lot of time trying to help people with their careers and that's been super rewarding. You know, you were talking mm -hmm. a little bit about legacy earlier. I mean, you know, it'll never be the sales accomplishments. It won't even be the great facilities that have been built off those revenues. It's a hundred percent the lifelong friendships and relationships that were built through working together in these in these different places. And so I do think about, you know, how could I continue to give back in in that form or fashion? You know, maybe it's, you know, running a sports administration program at a school, or maybe it's just, mm -hmm. you know, somehow serving people in that way, I think is uh, is gonna be some continuation of what I get to do every day um, in this job, because uh, it feels really good. And I think I have some, I think I have something to offer, um, you yeah. know, in that space. So, uh, you know, 
And and high school hoops coach is probably not enough to keep me fully occupied. Um, <laughs> Maybe you can double dip. Who knows? Or or if you're hey, since you're already going to be on a high school campus, you could mentor and coach off the court as well. So there you go. Awesome. All right, Chad. This has been so fun, and it's been way too long, and can't wait to. Uh, whether it's a coffee or I, how about this? When I see you, it's not going to be a morning beverage. It's going to be an evening beverage. Next time I see you, brother, miss you. And thank you so much for being on Playmakers, man. You have helped us all level up so we could just make more plays. So appreciate you being on. Thanks a lot, Paul. Congrats on the book. I'm really proud of you and happy for you. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another Playmaker. And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers. Playmakers.